0: Chapter twelve part two of laddie. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bridget Gage. Laddie by Jean Stratton Porter. Chapter twelve part two. The horn of the hunter. Then I just shook. They came pounding, roaring, and braying right around the barn and down the lane. The little door flew open, and a strange man stuck in his head. Shut that door! I screamed. You'll let them in on me, and they bite! They're poison! They'll kill me! I hadn't even thought of it before. "'See any foxes?' cried the man. Two crossed our barnyard, headed that way,' I cried back, pointing east. "'Shut the door!' The man closed it and ran calling as he went. "'It's all right. They crossed the barnyard. We've got them.' I began to dance and beat my hands, and then I stopped and held my breath. They were passing, and the noise was dreadful. They struck the sides of the barn, poked around the straw-stack, AND SOMETHING MADE ME LOOK UP, AND AT THE EDGE OF THE HAY STOOD A FOX READY TO SPRING. IF IT DID, IT WOULD GO FROM THE DOOR, RIGHT INTO THE MIDST THEREOF. NOTHING BUT MY RED HOOD SAILING STRAIGHT AT IT, AND A YELL I HAVE DROVE IT BACK. NO ONE HIT THE BARN AGAIN, THE LINE CLOSED UP, AND WENT ON AT A RUN NOW. THEY WERE SO ANXIOUS TO MEET, AND SEE WHAT THEY HAD. THEN CAME THE BEAT OF HOOFS, AND I SAW THAT ALL THE RIDERS HAD DROPPED BACK, AND WERE BEHIND THE LINE OF PEOPLE ON FOOT. I watched Laddie as he flew past, waving to me, and I grabbed my scarf to wave at him. The princess flashed by so swiftly I couldn't see how she looked. And then I heard a voice I knew cry, "'Ep, ep, over, lad!' And I almost fell dead where I stood. Mr. Pryor sailed right over the barnyard fence into the cornfield, ripping that dumbbell as he went, and neck and neck, even with him, on one of his finest horses was our Leon." His feet were in the stirrups, he had the reins tight, he almost stood as he arose. His face was crimson, his head bare, his white hair flying, the grandest sight you ever saw. At the top of my voice I screamed after them, Ep, ep, over, lad! And then remembered, and looked to see if I had to chase back the foxes. But they didn't mind only me, after what they had been through. Then I sat down suddenly again. Well, what would father think of that? "'Leon kill a horse of ours, indeed. "'There he was on one of Mr. Pryor's, "'worth as much as six of father's, no doubt, "'flying over fences, and the creek was coming, "'and the bank was steep behind the barn. "'I was up again, straining to see. "'Ep, ep, over!' rang the cry. "'There they went, laddie and the princess, too. "'I'll never spend another cent on paper dolls, "'candy, raisins, or oranges. "'I'll give all I have to help Leon buy his horse.' Then I'm going to begin saving for mine. The line closed up, a solid wall of men with sticks, clubs, and guns. The dogs ranged outside, and those on horseback stopped where they could see best, and inside raced back and forth, and round and round living creatures. I couldn't count they moved so, but even at that distance I could see that some were poor little cottontails. The scared things. A whack over the head, a backward toss, and the dogs were mouthing them the long-tailed, sleek, gracefully moving ones. They were foxes, the foxes driven from their holes, and nothing on earth could save their skins for them now. Those men meant to have them. I pulled the doors shut suddenly. I was so sick I could scarcely stand. I had to work, but at last I pushed the west doors open again. I don't think the Lord helped me any that time, for I knew what it took. Before they just went." Or maybe he did help me quite as much, but I had harder work to do my share, because I felt so dizzy and ill. Anyway, they opened. Then I climbed the upright ladder to the top beam, walked it to the granary, and there I danced, pounded, and yelled, so that the foxes jumped from the hay, leaped lightly to the threshing-floor, and stood looking and listening. I gave them time to hear where the dreadful racket was, and then I jumped to the hay, and threw the pitchfork at them. It came down smash, and both of them sprang from the door. When I got down the ladder, and where I could see, they were so rested they were hiking across the cornfield like they never had raced a step before. And as the clamor went up behind me, that probably meant the first fox had lost its beautiful red-and-white skin. They reached our woods in safety. The doors went shut easier, and I started to the house, crying like any blubbering baby. BUT WHEN MOTHER TURNED FROM THE EAST WINDOW, AND I NOTICED HER FACE, I FORGOT THE FOXES. "'You saw Leon,' I cried. "'That I did,' she exulted, rocking on her toes the same as she does at the meeting-house, when she is going to cry, glory, any minute. "'That I did! Ah, the brave little chap! Ah, the fine fellow!' Her cheeks were the loveliest pink, and her eyes blazed. I scarcely knew her. "'What will father say?' If his father is in every particle as proud of him as I am this day, I've a big disappointment coming, she answered. If Mr. Pryor chose to let him take that fine horse, and taught him how to ride it, father should be glad. If he'd gone into the creek, you wouldn't feel so fine. Ah, but he didn't. He didn't. He stuck to the saddle, and sailed over in one grand, long sweep. It was fine. I hope, to my soul, I hope his father saw it. He did, I said, he did. He was about halfway down the lane. He was where he could see fine. You didn't notice. I was watching if Leon went under. What if he had, mother? They'd have taken him out and brought him to me, and I'd have worked with all the strength and skill God has given me. And if it were possible to us, he would be saved. And if it were not, it would be a proud moment for a woman to offer a boy like that to the God who gave him. One would have nothing to be ashamed of. "'Could you do it like you are now, and not cry, mother?' I asked wonderingly. "'Patience, no,' said she. "'Before long you will find out, child, "'that the fountainhead of tears and laughters lies in the same spot, "'deep in a woman's heart. "'Men were made for big things. "'They must brave the wild animals, the Indians, "'fight the battles, ride the races, till the fields, build the homes. "'In the making of a new country, men must have the thing in their souls "'that carried Leon across the creek.' IF HE HAD CHECKED THAT HORSE AND GONE TO THE FORD, I WOULD HAVE FALLEN WHERE I STOOD. FATHER CROSSED THE FORD? TRUE, BUT THAT'S DIFFERENT. HE NEVER HAD A CHANCE AT A HORSE LIKE THAT. HE NEVER HAD TIME FOR FANCY PRACTICE, AND HIS NOSE WOULD HAVE BEEN BETWEEN THE PAGES OF A BOOK IF HE HAD. BUT REMEMBER THIS, YOUR FATHER'S HAND HAS NEVER FALTERED, AND HIS AIM HAS NEVER FAILED. ALL OF US ARE HERE, SAFE AND COMFORTABLE, THROUGH HIM. It was your father who led us across the wilderness, and fended us from the wildcat, wolf, and Indian. He built this house, cleared this land, and gave to all of us the thing we love. Get this in your head straight. Your father rode a plow-horse. He never tried flourishes in riding. But no man can stick in the saddle longer, ride harder, and face any danger with calmer front. If you think this is anything— you should have seen his face the day he stood between me and a band of Indians. We had every reason to think. I had angered to the fighting point. "'Tell me, please tell me,' I begged. All of us had been brought up on that story, but we were crazy to hear it, and Mother loved to tell it. So she dropped on a chair and began. We were alone in a cabin in the backwoods of Ohio. Elizabeth was only nine months old, and Father always said a mite the prettiest of any baby we ever had. Many of the others have looked quite as well to me, but she was the first, and he was so proud of her he always wanted me to wait in the wagon until he hitched the horses, so he would get to take and to carry her himself. Well, she was in the cradle, cooing and laughing, and I had my work all done and cabin shining. I was heating a big poker, red-hot, and burning holes into the four corners of a board so father could put legs in it to make me a bench. A greasy old squaw came to the door, with her papoose on her back. She wanted to trade berries for bread. There were berries everywhere for the picking. I had more dried than I could use in two years. We planted only a little patch of wheat, and father had to ride three days to carry to mill what he could take on a horse. I baked in an out-oven, and when it was done, a loaf of white bread was by far the most precious thing we had to eat. Sometimes I was caught and forced to let it go. Often I baked during the night, and hid the bread in the wheat at the barn. There was none in the cabin that day, and I said so. She didn't believe me. She set her papoose on the floor beside the fireplace, and went to the cupboard. There wasn't a crumb there, except cornbread, and she didn't want that. She said, Brood! Brood! She learned that from the Germans in the settlement. I shook my head. Then she pulled out a big steel hunting knife, such as the whites traded to the Indians, so they would have no trouble in scalping us neatly, and walked to the cradle. She took that knife loosely between her thumb and second finger, and holding it directly above my baby's face, she swung it lightly back and forth, and demanded, Brood! Brood! If the knife fell, it would go straight through my baby's head, and Elizabeth was reaching her little hands and laughing. There was only one thing to do, and I did it. I caught that red-hot poker from the fire and stuck it so close her baby's face that the papoose drew back and whimpered. I scarcely saw how she snatched it up and left. When your father came, I told him, and we didn't know what to do. We knew she would come back and bring her band. If we were not there, they would burn the cabin, ruin our crops, kill our stock, take everything we had. And we couldn't travel so far, or so fast, that on their ponies they couldn't overtake us. We endangered any one with whom we sought refuge. So we gripped hands, knelt down, and told the Lord all about it. And we felt the answer was to stay. Father cleaned the gun, and hours and hours we waited. About ten o'clock the next day they came, forty braves in war paint and feathers. I counted until I was too sick to see. Then I took the baby in my arms and climbed to the loft, with our big steel knife in one hand. If your father fell, I was to use it, first on Elizabeth, then on myself. The Indians stopped at the woodyard, and the chief of the band came to the door, alone. Your father met him with his gun in reach, and for a whole eternity they stood searching each other's eyes. I was at the trap-door, where I could see both of them. To the depths of my soul I enjoyed seeing Leon take the fence and creak. But what was that, child, to compare with the timber that stood your father like a stone wall between me and forty half-naked, paint-besmeared, maddened Indians? Don't let any showing the men of today can make set you to thinking that father isn't a king among men. Not once, but again and again in earlier days he fended danger from me like that. I can shut my eyes and see his waving hair, his white brow, his steel-blue eyes, his unfaltering hand. I don't remember that I had time or even thought to pray. I gripped the baby and the knife, and waited for the thing I must do if an arrow or a shot sailed past the chief and felled father. They stood second after second, like two wooden men, and then slowly and deliberately the chief lighted his big pipe, drew a few puffs, and handed it to father. He set down his gun, took the pipe, and quite as slowly and deliberately— HE LOOKED AT THE waiting band, AT THE CHIEF, AND THEN RAISED IT TO HIS LIPS. WHITE SQUAW BRAVE, HEAP MUCH BRAVE, SAID THE CHIEF. IN THE STRENGTH OF THE LORD, AMEN, SAID FATHER. THEN HE REACHED HIS HAND, AND THE CHIEF TOOK IT. SO I CAME DOWN THE LADDER, AND STOOD BESIDE FATHER, AS THE INDIANS BEGAN TO FILE IN THE FRONT DOOR AND OUT THE BACK. As they passed, every man of them made the peace sign, and piled in a heap venison, fish, and game, while each squaw played with a baby, and gave me a gift of beads, a metal trinket, or a blanket she had woven. After that they came often, and brought gifts, and if prowling gypsies were pilfering, I could look to see a big Indian loom up, and seat himself at my fireside, until any danger was past. I really got so I liked and depended on them, and father left me in their care when he went to the mill. And I was safe as with him. You have heard the story over and over, but today is the time to impress on you that an exhibition like this is the veriest child's play compared with what I have seen your father do repeatedly. But it was you, the chief said, was brave. Mother laughed. I had to be baby, she said. Mother had no choice. There's only one way to deal with an Indian— I had lived among them all my life, and I knew what must be done. I think both of you were brave, I said. You the bravest. Quite the contrary, laughed mother. I shall have to confess that what I did happened so quickly I'd no time to think. I only realized the coal-red iron was menacing the papoose when it drew back and whimpered. Father had all night to face what was coming to him, and it was not one to one, but one to forty, with as many more squaws "'as good fighters as the braves, to back them up. "'It was a terror, but I have never been sorry we went through it together. "'I have rested so securely in your father ever since.' "'And he is as safe in you,' I insisted. "'As you will,' said Mother. "'This world must have her woman quite as much as her men. "'It is shoulder to shoulder, heart to heart business.' The clamor in the meadow arose above our voices and brought us back to the foxes. "'There goes another,' I said, the tears beginning to roll again. "'It is heathenish business,' said Mother. "'I don't blame you. "'If people were not too shiftless to care for their stuff, "'the foxes wouldn't take their chickens and geese. "'They never get ours.' "'Hoods aren't shiftless,' I sobbed. "'There are always exceptions,' said Mother, "'and they are the exception in this case.' The door flew open, and Leon ran in. He was white with excitement and trembling— "'Mother, come and see me take a fence on Pryor's rocket!' he cried. Mother had him in her arms. "'You little whiffet!' she said. "'You little toe-haired whiffet!' Both of them were laughing and crying at the same time, and so was I. "'I saw you take one fence and the creek, Wyscope, she said, holding him tight, and stroking his hair. "'That will do for today. Ride the horse home slowly, rub it down if they allow you, and be sure to remember your manners when you leave.' To trust such a child as you, with so valuable a horse, and for Mr. Pryor to personally ride with you, and help you, I think that was a big thing for a man like him to do. But, Mother, he's been showing me for weeks, or I couldn't have done it today. It was our little secret to surprise you. When I get my horse, I'll be able to ride a little, as well as Mr. Laddie. "'Leon, don't,' said Mother, gripping him tighter. "'You must bear in mind, word about that money may come any day.' "'Ah, it won't either,' said Leanne, pulling away. "'And say, mother, that Dumbbell was like country boys make in England. "'He helped me hunt the wood and showed me. "'And I couldn't ride and manage it, so he had it all day. "'And you should have heard him make it rip. "'Say, mother, take my word. "'He was some pumpkins in England. "'I bet he ordered the Queen around when he was there.' "'No doubt,' laughed mother, kissing him and pushing him from the door. "'Some people are never satisfied.' After that splendid riding and the perfect day, Father, Leon, and Laddie came home blaming everyone, and finding fault, and trying to explain how it happened that the people from the east side claimed two foxes, and there was only one left for the west side, when they had seen and knew they had driven three for miles. They said they lost them in our big woods. I didn't care one speck. I would as leaf wear a calico dress and let the little foxes have their mammies to feed them, and I was willing to bet all my money that we would have as much ham and as many greens next summer as we ever had. And if the foxes took hood's dorkings again, let them build a coop with safe foundations. The way was to use stone and heap up dirt all around it in the fall to be perfectly sure and make it warmer. We took care of our chickens because we had to have them. All the year we needed them, but most especially for Easter. Mother said that was ordained chicken time. Turkeys for Thanksgiving, sucking pigs for Christmas, chickens for Easter, goose she couldn't abide. She thought it was too strong. She said the egg was a symbol of life, of awakening, of birth, and the chickens came from the eggs, first ones about Easter, so that proved it was chicken time. I am going to quit praying about little things I can manage myself. "'Father said no prayer would bring an answer "'unless you took hold and pulled with all your being "'for what you wanted. "'I had been intending for days to ask the Lord "'to help me find where Leon hid his Easter eggs. "'It had been a law at our house from the very first "'that for the last month before Easter, "'aside from what Mother had to have for the house, "'all of us might gather every egg we could find "'and keep them until Easter. "'If we could locate the hiding-place of anyone else, "'we might take all theirs.' THE DAY BEFORE EASTER THEY WERE BROUGHT IN, MOTHER PUT ASIDE WHAT SHE REQUIRED, AND THE ONE WHO HAD THE MOST GOT TO SELL ALL OF THEM AND TAKE THE MONEY. SOMETIMES THERE WERE TWO WASH-TUBS FULL, AND WHAT THEY BROUGHT WAS WORTH HAVING FOR SURE. SO WE WATCHED ALL YEAR FOR SAFE PLACES, AND WHEN THE TIME CAME, WE ALMOST RAN AFTER THE HENS WITH A BASKET. BECAUSE Laddie AND LEON WERE BIGGER, THEY COULD OUTRUN US, AND LOTS OF HENS LAID IN THE BARN, SO THERE THE BOYS ALWAYS HAD FIRST CHANCE often during the month we would find and take each other's eggs a dozen times we divided them and hid part in different places so that if either were found there would still be some left laddie had his in the hopper of the cider press right on the threshing floor and as he was sure to get more than i had anyway i usually put mine with his may had hers some place and where leon had his none of us could find or imagine i almost lay awake of nights trying to think AND EVERY TIME I THOUGHT OF A NEW PLACE, THE NEXT DAY I WOULD LOOK, AND THEY WOULDN'T BE THERE. THREE DAYS BEFORE EASTER, MOTHER BEGAN TO COOK AND GET THE BIG DINNER READY, AND SHE RAN SHORT OF EGGS. SHE TOLD ME TO GO TO THE BARN, AND TELL THE BOYS THAT EACH OF THEM MUST SEND HER A DOZEN AS QUICKLY AS THEY COULD. OF COURSE THAT WAS FAIR, IF SHE MADE BOTH GIVE UP THE SAME NUMBER. SO I WENT TO THE BARN. THE LANE WAS MUDDY, AND AS I HAD BEEN SICK, I WORE MY RUBBERS THAT SPRING. I thought to keep out of the deep mud, where horses and cattle trampled, I'd go up the front embankment and enter the little door. My feet made no sound, and it so happened that the door didn't either. And as I started to open it, I saw Leon disappearing down the stairway, with a big sack on his back. I thought it was corn for the horses and followed him. But he went to the cow stable door and started toward the lane, and then I thought it was for the pigs, so I called Laddie and told him about the eggs." He said he'd give me two dozen of his, and Leanne could pay him back. We went together to get them, and there was only one there. Wasn't that exactly like Leanne? Leave one for the nest egg? If he were dying, and saw a joke or a trick, he'd stop to play it before he finished, if he possibly could. If he had no time at all, then he'd go with his eyes twinkling over the thoughts of the fun it would have been if he possibly could have managed it. OF COURSE, WHEN WE SAW THAT ONE LONELY EGG IN THE CIDER-HOPPER, JUST EXACTLY LIKE THE LAST ROSE OF SUMMER, LEFT A PINE ON THE STEM, I THOUGHT OF THE SACK LEON CARRIED, AND KNEW WHAT HAD BEEN IN IT. WE HURRIED OUT AND TRIED TO FIND HIM. BUT HE WAS SWALLOWED UP. YOU COULDN'T SEE HIM OR HEAR A SOUND OF HIM ANYWHERE. MOTHER WAS AS CROSS AS SHE EVER GETS. RIGHT THERE SHE MADE A NEW RULE, AND IT WAS THAT TWO DOZEN EGGS MUST BE BROUGHT TO THE HOUSE EACH DAY, WHETHER ANY WERE HIDDEN OR NOT. She had to stop baking until she got eggs. She said a few times she had used a goose egg in custard. I could fix that. I knew where one of our grey geese had a nest, and if she'd cook any goose egg, it would be a grey one. Of course I had sense enough not to take a blue one. So I slipped from the east door, crossed the yard and orchard corner, climbed the fence and went down the lane. There was the creek up and tearing— It was half over the meadow, and the floodgate between the pasture and the lane rocked with the rush of water. Still, I believed I could make it. So I got on the fence, and with my feet on the third rail, and holding by the top one, I walked sideways, and so going reached the floodgate. It was pretty wobbly, but I thought I could cross on the run. I knew I could if I dared jump at the other end, but there was water over the third rail, and that meant above my head. It was right at that time of spring, when you felt so good, you thought you could do most anything, except fly. I tried that once, so I went on. The air was cold for all the sun shone. The smell of catkin pollen, bursting buds, and the odor of earth steaming in the sun, was in every breath. The blackbirds were calling, and the doves. The ganders looked longingly at the sky, and screamed a call to every passing wild flock. And Deem's rooster wanted to fight all creation, if you judged by the boasting he was doing from their barnyard gate. He made me think of eggs, so I set my jaws, looked straight ahead, and scooted across the floodgate to the post that held it and the rails of the meadow fence. I made it, too, and then the fence was easy, only I had to double quite short, because the water was over the third rail there. But at last it was all gone, and I went to the fence corner, and there was the goose on the nest, laying an egg, She had built on a little high place among puddles, wild rose bushes and thorns. And the old thing wouldn't get off. She just sat there and stuck out her head and hissed and hissed. I never noticed before that geese were so big and so aggravating. I wasn't going to give up after that floodgate, so I hunted a big stick, set it against her wing, pushed her off, and grabbed three eggs and ran. When I got to the fence, I wasn't a pickle for sure. I didn't know what in the world to do with the eggs." At last I unbuttoned my coat, put them in my apron pocket, gathered it up, and holding it between my teeth, started back. I had to double more than ever on account of the eggs, and when I reached the floodgate, it rocked like a branch in the wind. But I had to get back. So I rested and listened to the larks a while. That was a good plan. They were calling for mates, and what they said was so perfectly lovely, you couldn't think of anything else. And the less you thought about how that gate rocked, AND HOW DEEP AND SWIFT THE WATER RAN, THE BETTER FOR YOU. AT LAST ONE LARK WENT ALMOST FROM SIGHT, AND HE RANG, TWISTED AND trilled HIS CALL, UNTIL MY HEART SWELLED SO BIG IT HURT. I CROSSED ON THE JUMP WITH NO TIME TO THINK AT ALL. THAT WAS A FINE PLAN, FOR I MADE IT, BUT I HIT THE POST SO HARD I BROKE THE MIDDLE EGG. I WAS GOING TO THROW IT AWAY, BUT THERE WAS SO MUCH STARCH IN MY APRON IT HELD LIKE A DISH, AND IT HAD BEEN CLEAN THAT MORNING. NOW THE EGG SOILED IT ANYWAY. "'So I ran, and got home all right. "'Mother was so pleased about the eggs, "'she changed the apron, and never said a word, "'except to brag on me. "'She said she couldn't keep house without me, "'and I guess that was a fact. "'I came in handy a lot of times. "'But at dinner, when she scolded the boys about the eggs, "'and told them I brought the goose eggs for her custard, "'else there would have been no pie, "'father broke loose, "'and I thought he was going to whip me shore. "'He told mother all about the water and the gate, and how i had to cross and he said it was a dispensation of providence that we didn't have a funeral instead of celebrating easter so i said well if you think i came so near drowning myself when you rejoice because christ is risen from the dead you can be glad i am too and that will make it all the better the boys laughed but father said it was no laughing matter i think that speech saved me from going on the threshing floor for he took me on his lap when i thought i'd have to go and told me never, never to do anything like that again. And then he hugged me, until I almost broke. Gracious! He should have seen us going to school some days. Why, we even walked the top rail, when it was only the one above water. And we could cross the bridge if we wanted to. At least when Laddie or Miss Amelia was not around, we did. Leon was so bursting full, he scarcely could eat. And Laddie looked pretty glum, when he had to admit he had no eggs." so Leon had to hand over the whole two dozen. Leon didn't mind that, but said if he must, then all of us should stay in the dining-room until he brought them, because, of course, he couldn't walk straight and get them in broad daylight with us watching and not show where they were. Father said that was fair, so Leon went out, and before so very long he came back with the eggs. I thought, until my skull almost cracked, about where he could have gone, and I was almost to the place where the thing seemed serious enough that I'd ask the Lord to help me find Laddie's eggs, when Mother sent me to the garret for red onion skins. She had an hour to rest, and she was going to spend it fixing decorations for our eggs. Of course there were always red and black aniline ones, and yellow and blue, but none of us ever liked them half so well as those Mother colored herself. She took the dark red skins and cut boys, girls, dogs, cats, stars, flowers, butterflies, fish, and everything imaginable, and wet the skins a little, and laid them on very white eggs that had been soaked in alum water to cut the grease, and then wrapped light yellow skins over, and then darker ones, and at last layer after layer of cloth, and wet that, and roasted them an hour in hot ashes, and then let them cool and dry before unwrapping. When she took them out, rubbed down a little grease, and polished them, there they were. They would have our names, flowers, birds, animals, all in pale yellow, deep rich brown, almost red, and perfectly beautiful colors, while you could hunt and hunt before you found everything on one egg. And sometimes the onion skin slipped, and made things of themselves that she never put on. I was coming from the bin, with an apron full of skins, and I almost fell over. I couldn't breathe for a long time. I danced on my toes, and held my mouth to keep from screaming. On the garret floor before me lay a little piece of wet mud, and the faintest outline of a boot—a boot about Leon's size. That was all I needed to know. As soon as I could hold steady, I took the skins to mother, slipped back and hunted good. And of course I had to find them—grain sacks half full of them, carried in the front door in the evening, and up the front stairs, where no one went until bedtime, unless there were company. Away back under the eaves, across the joists, behind the old clothing waiting to be ripped, colored, and torn for carpet rags and rugs, Mr. Leon had almost every egg that had been laid on the place for a month. Now he'd see what he'd get for taking Laddie's. Then I stopped short. What I thought most made me sick. But I didn't propose to lie in bed again for a year at least, for it had its bad parts, as well as its good. So I went straight and whispered to Laddie, He never looked pleased at all, so I knew I had been right. He kissed me, and thanked me, and then said slowly, "'It's mighty good of you, little sister, but you see it wouldn't be fair. He found mine himself, so he had a right to take them. But I don't dare touch his when you tell me where they are. I never in a month of Sundays would have looked for them in the house. I was going to search the woodhouse and smokehouse this afternoon. I can't take them, but thank you just as much.' Then I went to Father, and he laughed. How he did laugh! Laddie is right,' he said at last. "'He didn't find them, and he mustn't take them. "'But you may. They're yours. "'That front-door scheme of Leon's was fairly well, "'but it wasn't quite good enough. "'If he'd cleaned his feet as he should, "'before he crossed Mother's carpet and climbed the stairs, "'he'd have made it all right. "'His tracks betrayed him, as tracks do all of us, "'if we are careless enough to leave any. "'The eggs are yours.' AND TONIGHT IS THE TIME TO PRODUCE THEM. WHERE DO YOU WANT TO HIDE THEM?' "'Well, of all things, and after I had stumbled on them, without pestering the Lord, either—just as slick as anything. Mine, I never ever thought of it. But when I did think, I liked it. The more I thought, the funnier it grew. "'Under mother's bed,' I whispered. But I never can get them. They're in wheat-sacks, and full so high, and they'll have to be handled like eggs.' I'll do the carrying, laughed Father. Come show me. So we took all those eggs and put them under Mother's bed. Of course she and Candace saw us, but they didn't hunt eggs, and they'd never tell. If ever I thought I'd burst wide open. About dusk I saw Leon coming from the barn, carrying his hat at his side. More eggs. So I ran like a streak and locked the front door, and then slipped back in the dining room and almost screamed when I could hear him trying it and he couldn't get in. After a while he came in, fussed around, and finally went into the sitting-room, and the key turned, and he went upstairs. I knew I wouldn't dare look at him when he came down, so I got a reader, and began on a piece I just love. A nightingale made a mistake. She sang a few notes out of tune. Her heart was ready to break, and she hid away from the moon. When I did get a peep, gracious, but he was black. Maybe it wasn't going to be so much fun after all. But he had the money last year, and the year before. And if he'd cleaned his feet well, I was not hunting his eggs when I found them. His tracks betrayed him, as Father said. I was thankful supper was ready just then. And while it was going on, Mother said, "'As soon as you finish, I'll bring in your eggs. I want to wrap the ones to colour to-night, and bury them in the fireplace, so they will colour, dry, and be ready to open in the morning.' No one said a word. But neither laddie nor leon looked very happy, and I took awful bites to keep my face straight. When all of us finished, May brought a lot from the bran barrel in the smoke house, but laddie and leon only sat there and looked silly. It really was funny. I must have more eggs than this, said mother. Where are they to come from? Father nodded to me, and I said, from under your bed. Oh, it was you, and I never once caught you snooping, cried leon. Easy, son, said Father, that will do. You lost through your own carelessness. You left wet mud on the garret floor, and she saw it when mother sent her for the onion skins. You robbed Laddie of his last egg this morning. Be a good loser yourself. Well, anyway, you didn't get 'em, said Leon to Laddie. And she only found them by accident. Then we had a big time counting all those eggs, and such another heap as there was to sell, after mother filled baskets to cook with and colour. When the table was cleared, Laddie and Leon made tallow pencils from a candle, and wrote all sorts of things over eggs that had been prepared to color. Then mother boiled them in copperas water and aniline, and all the dyes she had, and the boys polished them, and they stood in shining black, red, blue, and yellow heaps. The onion ones would be done in the morning. Leon had a goose egg, and mother let him keep it, so he wrote and wrote on it, until Laddie said it would be all writing and no color and he boiled it in red, after Mother finished, and polished it himself. It came out real pretty, with roses on it, and lots of words he wouldn't let any of us read. But of course it was for Susie Fall. Next morning he slipped it to her at church. When we got home, all of us were there except Shelley, and we had a big dinner, and a fine time, and Laddie stayed until after supper, before he went to Pryor's. "'How is he making it?' asked Sally. You could see she was making it all right. She never looked lovelier. And mother said Peter was letting her spend away too much money on her clothes. She told him so, but Peter just laughed, and said business was good, and he could afford it, and she was a fine advertisement for his store when she was dressed well. All I know is, said mother, that he goes there every whip-stitch, and the woman, at least, seemed glad to have him. He says Mr. Pryor treats him decently, AND THAT IS MORE THAN HE DOES HIS OWN FAMILY AND SERVANTS. HE AND THE GIRL AND HER MOTHER ARE DIVIDED ABOUT SOMETHING. SHE TREATS HER FATHER RESPECTFULLY, BUT SHE IS IN SYMPATHY WITH MOTHER. Laddie CAN'T FIND OUT WHAT THE TROUBLE IS? I DON'T THINK THAT HE TRIES. MAYBE HE'D FEEL BETTER NOT TO KNOW, SAID PETER. POSSIBLY, SAID MOTHER. NONSENSE, SAID FATHER. YOU TWO SEEM TO BE RECONCILED, SAID ELIZABETH. THAT GIRL WOULD RECONCILE A MAN TO ANYTHING said father. Not to the loss of his soul, I hope, said mother stiffly. Souls are not so easy to lose, said father. Besides, I am counting on Laddie saving hers. End of chapter 12